Welcome back to House Rich, the real estate show, home of the world's best home buying tips. Today we're going to talk about seven things I bet you don't know about an FHA loan. And if you do know all seven, drop a comment down below. I'm curious to see what percentage of the community actually knows uh, these seven items. And no, no, no cheating. So if you know who am I, my name is David. I have seven years of expertise in the mortgage industry as a loan officer and an underwriter. So let's jump into the topic. So number one, a common misperception is that you can only have one FHA loan at a time. There's actually scenarios we can have multiple FHA loans at a time. And these scenarios are, one, if you're relocating due to a job, you're allowed to get another FHA loan. And so one of the stipulations is that you have to be, this property has to be at least 100 miles from your current FHA property. You can't be just saying, I'm getting, I'm in Dallas and I'm getting a new job in, in Northern Dallas and I want to get an FHA loan. No, it has to be at least 100 miles away from your current property. Number two is if you're growing your family. So let's say you're in a single family home right now and it's like you and a fiance. So technically per FHA guidelines, a fiance is not, they're just another person. They might as well just be a roommate. Um, but you're in like a two bedroom property or something like that, or even a three, three bedroom property, who knows? Oh, let's say two bedroom. And so let's say you, you get married and you have a kid. So you've gone from a family of one, as far as the FHA is concerned, to now in a family of Three. And so you may you need a you may need a bigger room, you know, more rooms, more uh, square footage in that property. So like in this scenario, that's a, that's something you can easily prove and say, hey, I got my property in 2019. I got married in 2020, and then I had a kid, you know, later that year. I had one family member at the time. Now I have three family members. You're growing your family size. You need a bigger space to live. So that's cool as far as the FHA is concerned. Now let's go to the other side of this. Let's say that um, fiance now wife divorces you. So if that fiance is going to, or that wife is keeping the property, you're allowed to get another FHA loan as well because you know that's not going to be your primary residence anymore. So you still technically are part of that FHA loan. If and, and it'll still be kind of towards your detail and all that if you're still on the mortgage. But you can have that FHA loan and still get your own property using another FHA loan because uh, you know once again, once again the FHA loan is for primary residence. So you're divorced and you're not living there anymore, unfortunately. Let's say you were helping somebody out on an FHA loan to help them qualify, and you were just like a co-borrower. You're not actually living in the property. You can you can go on and get your own FHA loan. Once again, all the same debt income ratio guidelines apply because you're attached to that mortgage as far as the lender's concerned. So it still counts towards your debt income ratio. But you're yeah, you can get another FHA loan. And let's say you're um, these last two. Um, I wouldn't bank on these, but you know there's there's stipulations involved. But if you're you know just getting another property and you're technically not building your real estate portfolio somehow, you can get another property. Or if you're buying like a HUD-owned REO property, you're allowed to get another FHA loan as well. And so one of the, the stipulations of these are, is one for like the growing family size, you have to have at least 25% equity in the property. And for the other scenarios, you have to have at least 75% equity in the property, which you may say, whoa, that's a lot of equity to have in the property. That is a lot of equity to have in the property. True story. But once again, the FHA is designed for to be a primary residence loan and so you know if you want to if you want to use fha loan again yeah you have to kind of abide by those those guidelines and we'll, we'll jump into a little bit more on when and i think you should and shouldn't use fha loan as you go through this this list so that's number one number two so the fha loan is not just three and a half percent down i, I, I always hear folks say hey fha loan three and a half percent down it's actually not so you put down a three and a half percent down payment true story but there's also something called the FHA um, or the upfront funding fee, which you have to pay 
1.75% of the loan amount. So let's say, for instance, you're, you got a $100,000 loan. 1.75% of that is $1,750 you have to pay as well. So the reason a lot of folks don't think about this or know about this is that you have two options with the upfront funding fee and the lender usually doesn't even suggest both of them. They just, um, they just tack it onto the loan amount and, and finance that $1,750. And so, yeah, essentially gets added onto the loan amount. So you don't pay it up front unless you want to, but essentially you're paying it when you sell the property because it's an extra 1.75% that's added to the loan. So you're paying that plus, you know, any interest as well because it's accumulating interest as well as part of the loan. So um, something to, to factor in as, as well is that upfront funding fee, which is, is just money that you're being taxed and won't get back again. So those are two so far. If you've got value, you know, hit the like button, subscribe, tell a friend to tell a friend. But let's get into number three. The FHA self-sufficiency test. So FHA loan is great for house hacking. You know, you can put down three and a half percent, whether it's a one, two, three, or four unit property, but you have to pass the FHA self-sufficiency test for that three and four unit property. So what does that say? It essentially said that your mortgage can be no more than 75% of the rents on the property. So let me break that down for you real quick. Let's say I have a four unit property and the rents are a thousand, one thousand, one thousand, one thousand. Your mortgage can be no more than 75% of that, which is $3,000. And so let's, even a scenario where it's like, let's say the rents are 2,000, 1,500, 500, and the sale has up to 4,000. And let's say you, you're you in the, the $2,000 property for, or property for some reason, that, that doesn't matter. It's just, it's just what the total rents are. So it doesn't matter what property you're in or what's vacant or anything like that. And so that's super important to know as well because you need to make sure that your your lender knows about this, you know about this, and your realtor knows about this because you don't want to be going around looking at properties that you can't even qualify for when it comes down to the um, the FHA self-sufficiency test. So once again, your credit doesn't matter. You can have 800 credit score. Your your income doesn't matter. The DTI doesn't matter. Like you can have a 3% debt to income ratio, but if it doesn't pass this test, uh, you're out of lucker. And so um, one thing, you know, one thing, especially like a lot of high cost of living areas is that, you know, folks end up having to put down more than that three and a half percent potentially to lower the principal the mortgage payment which is your principal interest tax insurance and association dues as well so that, that's something to factor in you know how much you have to put down for that um property versus the minimum down payment or maybe another program for instance like if you're looking at a conventional loan the for a duplex you know some lenders will have like a five percent down minimum down payment no fha sufficiency test so if you're looking at an fha loan it's like hey fha loan I may have to put down even 4.8% or, you know, 4.5% or more than that. You may want to weigh your options and and it may make sense to just go conventional loan in, in that scenario. Because like I always say, unless you have bad credit and can't qualify or you're house hacking and you can put down that 3.5%, it really doesn't make sense to go uh, conventional. And so uh, we'll get into that a little bit more as we go down the, uh, the list. Actually, we'll get into that right now. So let's talk about the amendatory clause. So what the amendatory clause says is that if the home does not appraise for the price on the contract, the buyer can walk away at any point in time, even if it's one day like before foreclosing. So let's say for some reason you get your appraisal back two days before closing for, or I guess technically you can't get it back two days before closing. Um, or I guess you can, but let's say you get it back two days before closing for, for some reason. And 
the purchase price is $300,000. It comes back at $2,999. And you really didn't want the property anymore, but hey, you didn't want to lose your earnest money. You were having second thoughts. You can just back out and walk away and you'll get your earnest money back. But let's say like a more realistic scenario where it's like, um, or maybe not realistic in this, this, this environment, but let's say the purchase price was $300,000. Um, it came back at two seventy-five. dollars Then that puts you in a great position of negotiating power as well because the seller pretty much has to come down or you, or you're, or you'll walk away and they'll risk putting the home back on the market. Uh, and here's the thing about putting the home back on the market. That appraisal, that $275,000, that, $275, that appraisal is attached to the property. So the next person that uses an FHA loan knows that it, that it appraised for $275,000. So it puts you in a great position as far as negotiating power to get them to come down uh, a little bit closer to your pricing. You know, let's say you guys might settle it. I don't know, 290, 285 or something like that, where if it was a conventional loan, um, you have a lot less wiggle room because you don't lose that earnest money, which is a, a big deal there. And so the other side of that coin is sellers, realtors, or at least decent ones know about the inventory clause. So all things equal, if you, a conventional, a conventional offer that is at least close to FHA offer will probably always beat it due to that inventory clause. So just, just kind of FYI. Number five, uh, the PMI, hopefully you know this, the PMI stays on the FHA loan forever. Unless you're putting down like 10% initially on the loan, that PMI will stick with your loan forever. So once again, unless you're a house hacker and can't qualify due to bad credit, you might as well just start with a conventional loan because you're going to have to end up paying those title fees all over again to refinance the loan into a conventional loan and drop the PMI. And who knows where rates may be. It may, you may be at that 20% equity point, but now rates may be higher and it may, may not, may not make a lot of sense to refinance. So you always want to start with the, um, conventional loan. Um, if it makes sense to do that. And then number six, is that it actually has the highest down payment. I always hear folks talk about, hey, FHA loan, low down payment, blah, blah, blah. No, let's think about this. Let's break this down. So you have a VA loan, which is 0%. You have a USA loan, which is 0% down. You have a NACA loan, which is 0% down. Conventional loan, your minimum down payment for a conventional loan is 3%. Then we go FHA, 3.5%. So it actually has the highest down payment of any of the loan programs. Number seven, super, super, super important because this can kill a lot of deals. If you're in a community property state, even if your spouse is not on the loan, your spouse's debts are added to the loan. So let's say you've been thinking, hey, um, you kind of run the numbers yourself. Hey, my DTI is, I don't know, 37%. I'm, I'm good to go if you kind of crunch the numbers. And you're like, hey, you know, I'm not going to put my spouse on the loan because her credit is, is, is bad. Well, surprise. The lender still will pull your spouse's credit. And if their credit is too low to qualify for the loan, unfortunately, the income will not count, but the debts will be added to your debt. So you have to make sure that that's something that you're factoring into your decision-making process as well. And so what are the community property states? Well, they are uh, Arizona, California, Idaho, Louisiana, Nevada, New Mexico, Texas, Washington and uh, Wisconsin are your community property states. And so if you're not married, you may have to make, and you're, it's like a fiance situation, you may have to kind of make decisions say, hey, should we buy a home earlier? Should we maybe push back the wedding? Because they may pre prevent us from getting a, a property. And so see my other video as far as, you know, building the ultimate real estate portfolio to why it may make sense to 
wait to your to purchase properties before we married as well because it'll help you build your real estate portfolio so that will be uh somewhere around here if you're watching on youtube so um there you go hope you liked the video if you watched this far uh subscribe like tell a friend to tell a friend and let me know what other stuff you guys want to see thanks